grace and peace to, I think, our first-time attender this morning, Nadia Rain Lampert, I believe, is attending for the first time. So uh, is the, yeah, we can, is, is she back in the nursery or, oh, she's back there. There you go. Right there. You can all take a look back this way if you would like. That is Sarah holding her. So that is awesome. What a gift. Uh, so we celebrate with you this new life, and th- and we pray with you in this season as you adjust again to having a newborn in the house. So it is it's good to have her here this morning. So, um, so we've had this series called Practice, and uh, kind of the next slide there. It's still not funny, so <laughs> I'm just going to continue. Are we talking about practice. Uh, We've been looking at some of the wonderful spiritual practices that are available to us as followers of the way, followers of Jesus. Uh, this is the fifth of seven weeks for this series. Um, however, this series could easily be 52 weeks, even longer, because there are just countless spiritual practices, spiritual disciplines that we can engage with as Christians. And uh, our first week was an intro to the series, uh, why or how spiritual practices um, spiritual practice makes possible was sort of the theme there. Our second week, Eric and Kelly Fry Martin shared about the practice of hospitality. And then a couple weeks ago, my friend uh, Shelly Bauer was here and shared about the practices of silence and solitude. And then last week, we, took, uh, uh, we looked at the importance of the practice of Sabbath. Okay? Now, so we're going to have a sermon today, a topic today. But before we get to that, I, do, I just want to highlight what's, what's going to happen next week. Okay? Next week, it's, tr- it's church field trips. Now, we've done this before. We've gone up to Menno Haven. We've been to Zion Baptist in Peoria. So it's another church field trip. So we're going to go to McNabb, Illinois. This is a, a Clear Creek meeting house. Uh, this, is, this will be a Quaker meeting. Okay? Uh, these followers of Jesus have a different way of being with one another as they gather on a Sunday morning. And we, as a church, will engage in this different Sort of different way of being a different communal practice and uh, i'm i've never been myself to a quaker meeting and i'm just really looking forward to i know kate's had a connection with this church in the past um and uh, so 11 o'clock will be the gathering time there uh and and noon we will have a potluck uh lunch together with our new friends uh it's sort of in the middle of nowhere so um we want to offer some carpooling so if you want to come between 10 and 10 10 or so and uh we can all sort of hop in each other's cars and have a caravan up to McNabb. Well, it's, it's, it's north on, I, on, on 89, just north of Magnolia, when you see Edward's, uh, Edgewood Golf Course uh, on the left. Willis, you need to go right, so you can't. <laughs> okay, so if you take a right-hand turn, then you'll get to the, uh, the, the meeting house. So this week, um, so again, uh, if you want to do that, uh, or if you want to drive by yourself, just get there a little before 11 at least, because, you know, if you arrive late to a, a wedding, there's things happening. If you arrive late to a, a Quaker meeting, it could be disruptive, okay? So uh, there's a there's a handout uh, or an insert in your bulletin that kind of explains a little bit more about uh, this kind of experience, and so you can read that to kind of prepare yourself for it, and uh, I'm looking forward to that uh, that time together. So this week, we take a look at the practice of retreat, okay? What is this practice? What's this spiritual practice of retreat? How 
why or how might or, or how might this this life be a life-giving practice for us as believers, us as Christians? But first, when I say the word retreat, okay, what comes to your mind when I say the word retreat? Uh, what, what, what sort of emotion does it stir in your heart, or how do you how do you sense that in your body when I say the word retreat? Anyone? Relax, okay. Retreat. Anything else? Retreat. Okay. The battle of, yeah, often used as a military expression, and I'm going to actually get into that. So retreat, retreat. Sometimes it can have this sort of like giving up or surrender, withdrawal, a laying down. Um, Sometimes it's not such a positive feeling. Um, It can be an unsettling one. Retreat, retreat, retreat. We're losing the battle. Retreat. In a military sense, retreat um, can mean a strategic withdrawal okay, from the front lines. In February of 2018, Metamore Mennonite leadership, uh, elders and leadership team came together for a leadership retreat. Okay? And this was one of those strategic withdrawal, um, c- coming, you know, looking at their church, where we've been, where we are, and perhaps where we're heading. So this is February of 2018. And I actually, so I said leadership retreat, and it was a retreat in that we kind of pulled back a bit. But uh, truth is, it was more of a leadership advancement uh, or advance because we did a lot of work, you know, uh, you know considering uh, the questions about the church and, and, and what, what we're doing as a ministry. So um, also retreat for me, I served in, in youth ministry for 17 years, okay? And when we had a student retreat, uh, it wasn't so much of a retreat that we're talking about this morning. Uh, it, w- it was a getting away with students. So there was a, re- a retreat from the world. But as soon as we landed at the camp or the retreat center, <laughs> it was go, 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 right? It was uh, almost every minute was scheduled go from this activity to this activity. Now we're going over here, and then we're and then uh, let's go to worship, and then we're listening to this speaker, and then and we got to eat, and 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 lights out at midnight. It, yeah, usually doesn't happen at midnight. Maybe around two a.m. Okay, <laughs> this was my experience. If someone said retreat, oh, I know what that is. Retreat, where you go and you get tired on a weekend with all these students, right? So that was my idea of retreat for a long, 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 long time. Uh, or maybe you've experienced uh, a men's retreat or a women's retreat, and maybe you've had a similar experience. And, and truthfully, at the end of that retreat, you might come back a bit more tired than you were when you first left. Uh, this often happens. And never really having a chance to, to connect or to be in touch with one's own soul. Okay? So these kinds of retreats, they're good. They serve its purpose. It's fun. The students love them. Men's retreat, women, it's, it's good. It's good. Um, but this is not the kind of retreat uh, that we're kind of addressing this morning uh, in this uh, spiritual practice of retreat. So Christopher Hewitt uh, writes a book, on, wrote a book called The Sacred Enneagram, a book that we read with our pastor's book club, book it club, um, back in fall of last year, and he sort of breaks it down. So we've been talking about silence and solitude and Sabbath, and now we have retreat. He kind of breaks it down like this. So silence can teach us how to listen, right? 
solitude can teach us how to be present to oneself, present to God, and present to others. Sabbath, which we talked about last week, the practice of Sabbath is an invitation to rest. Okay, And then retreat, he would say, Chris Christopher-Hewitt, the, the author, said, it, it can bring about restoration. So you go from rest to restoration. It's a, it's a longer period. And then sabbatical, which we're not going to talk about here, but sabbatical can often lead to renewal. So rest, restoration, and then renewal, depending on the longevity or how long of a period you would have a pause, right? So uh, just a way to think of it, think of it um, all practices leading towards a way of being in this world, uh, all, uh, all found in this contemplative stream of Christianity, a stream that was largely unknown to me uh, for many years. So this morning, uh, I'd like to use a definition from Ruth Haley Barton um, uh, in her book, Invitation to Retreat. And now this book, was given to our leadership um, retreat this year in 2019, okay, as we remember gathering here in front of the church, and, and this, this book was a gift to our leaders. So Ruth Haley Barton says this of retreat. Retreat in the context of the spiritual life is an extended time apart, uh, time apart for the purpose of being with God and giving God our full and undivided attention. Retreat is a generous commitment to our friendship with God. So, question, so why retreat? Why is this important? Well, just like with silence and solitude and Sabbath of the previous week, the need for retreat is great. The need for retreat is great. There are many reasons for retreat. Um, uh, you know, life can be like this. Life can be busy, 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 spinning all the plates that we have, right? Uh, when I look at this video, I see, I see people who are moving around very stiff, okay, uh, in order to keep all of them spinning. Because if they were loose, they wouldn't be able to kind of keep them spinning. So I don't necessarily see freedom here <laughs> as they're walking around. People very, you know, there's not a lot of freedom in that, okay? Um, so, so we've covered this in the past couple weeks of, of this idea that, you know, we're busy, 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 and the need for retreat. Another reason is this. So uh, we can be too plugged in, right? Too plugged in. I know this is true for me. On Wednesday, I had to take my phone to fix my gadget because I am a little clumsy when it comes to my cell phone. And uh, I've dropped it repeatedly, first a crack, then more of a crack, then shattered. Still trying to look at anyone been there with a cracked phone? Yeah. So, uh, so I took it to this place, uh, and they said, come back in two hours, and it'll be done. Okay, great. Here you go. So I handed the phone, and I walked out of the store, and this sort of low-grade anxiety came over. <laughs> like, just this, oh, uh, what if Miley needs something? What if 
What if, uh, what if my ESPN app dinged with some sort of breaking news that I might miss, right? What if I miss something of super importance? Like, um, what if, uh, what if I, I need to respond to an email that actually could wait about a couple hours, <laughs> right? Um, uh, what if there's an emergency at church? Um, I'm unreachable. Oh, boy. Uh, anyone ever been there after forgetting their phone at home or something, right? And uh, you get the same, the same sort of weird feeling, like, how do I function right now? My, it's like your right arm has been cut off. This is probably more of a problem for me. Um, so I had this sense of limitation. When I gave the phone over, I was now limited in a new way. But the, but the, the reality is, is that I'm limited anyway. The cell phone's just sort of a cover or a mask, like, oh, I'm not limited. I can do all things, right? No, no, no. You've always had limitations. Um, so two, two hours later, I go back to pick up my phone, and I'm like, oh, my. Oh, I'm going to have a, so I get my phone. Nothing. <laughs> nothing happens. <laughs> not even a ding, nothing. It's like, oh. Guess I'm not as important as I thought I was, <laughs> right? You know, um, I can be unplugged. It was okay. I could do it. I could do it. So the list goes on as to the reasons why we would need an extended uh, time off, more than a Sabbath day rest would provide, but maybe something even longer. So I won't spend much time on this because we've covered this in the past couple of weeks with the silence and solitude and Sabbath. But throughout the series, we've been looking at this, at this, uh, this verse, uh, Matthew 11, that will be on the screen in a minute. There you go. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. I just noticed there's two spaces there. <laughs> Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. So last week, last week we looked at some of the actions of Jesus, because Jesus says here, watch how I do it. And then we looked at some verses from the Gospels, uh, learning of Jesus going away to a solitary place, to be, to get away to be still, to take a Sabbath day rest. Then there's another place where there's an invitation that Jesus gives to his disciples. And it's easy to miss it if you're not looking for it. Um, and I believe this invitation to the disciples is also an invitation to us. In Mark chapter 6, Jesus sends out the 12 to teach from village to village. He sends them out two by two in Mark chapter six. They are instructed to travel light and they preached a message of repentance for the kingdom of God is near. They drove out demons, healed the sick, anointed with oil. Can you just imagine the disciples? One day, fishermen, laborers, even a tax collector in the mix, one day, doing those things, and then now, with Jesus, 
teaching and preaching, casting out demons, healing people, healing the sick. Can you just imagine how exhilarating that must have been? Right? Perhaps you recall in your early days following this Jesus. Perhaps you, were, you experienced uh, things that were fresh and new for the first time. And man, was it exciting. Just even exhilarating. To a point where maybe you even sensed more, 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 more. Just so amazing. And then after, so after Jesus sends the mark, sends them out in Mark chapter 6, beginning of the chapter, unfortunately, John the Baptist loses his head. And then after that story, we have Jesus, or Jesus feeding the 5,000. Okay. And, but there's something that Jesus invites his disciples to do before the feeding of 5,000. Jesus has an invitation for them. Then the disciples came back to Jesus. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then because so many, um, so many people were coming and going that they w- did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Now, how long did Jesus anticipate this? Is this a couple hours? Is this a day? Or is this an extended amount of time of being away? After all that activity, sending them out two by two? I don't know. But if it's multiple days, we have retreat in mind here. In the end, it didn't happen, though. Because as the story goes, but many saw them leaving, recognizing them, and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so the disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said. It's already late. Send the people away so that they can go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. And then this is where Jesus says, you feed them. And so we have the feeding of, of the 5,000. But because someone noticed that they were taken off, leaving on a boat, somebody noticed news spread about where Jesus and the disciples were going, and they followed him. Maybe you can relate at some level. A season where it seemed like you just couldn't get away from people. Uh, you couldn't get away to save your life. You couldn't... There was no escape to be found. And at every turn, you know, it just seems like people are in need. Family, coworkers, neighbors, just people are in need. So Jesus invites, has this invitation to retreat. And I don't, I don't know about you, but when I have this invitation, often I say no. So I'd like to pause and look at some of the reasons why this invitation to retreat um, why I have often think this isn't for me, uh, at least in this season. Maybe when things settle down a bit, then I can, I can engage with this practice. I can't go on retreat because of the following reasons, right? So, and some of these reasons are found in um, Ruth Haley Barton's book, uh, a couple, two of them out of the five. But, so one reason we hesitate on this invitation towards retreat is that we live in this world of, of shoulds and oughts. 
you know, to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus, this means that we should and that we ought to respond to any and all serving opportunities that present themselves. Uh, you you want to be a good Christian, don't you? So you better get busy doing the things of God, right? Sometimes a badge of, I serve the Lord, I can't slow down. Yes, I'll do that for the Lord, and yes, I'll do that for the Holy Spirit, and yes, I'll do that for my church, and yes, I'll do that because the Spirit says this. After all, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. All, I can do all things. All, 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 all things, right? And when this happens, we can be, begin to uh, look like a performer, like a Christian performer saying yes to things that simply aren't us, maybe not even our giftings. Um, and we, we can become disconnected from our true self, who God has actually made us to be. So we can slip into an understanding that I have value only because I serve others, or I have value for what I can do for, for others, and I have value because of what I can do for God. This can lead to a performing in order to gain approval um, of others. Our identity is found in what we do. Anyone ever, ever wrestle with identity? Kind of, this is, I'm a pastor. That's my identity, right, of what I do. That's how I have value. That's why I'm so important. Anyone? Um, so we say no to the invitation because when all that striving and that pushing ceases, our sense of value often is diminished, and that is uncomfortable. So another reason we don't accept the invitation to retreat is perhaps control. Because when we serve others, who's in control? The provider, right? It's us. It gives us a perceived upper hand, a one-up in relationship with others. And sometimes we're just simply uncomfortable with the humility required to be in a position of receiving. It takes humility. Humility in order to receive. Because this is what retreats can bring. Uh, in our service for God, what can I do for you, God? What can I do for others? If you're like me, I'm uncomfortable with the position where, in the context of retreats, Jesus is asking, Eric, what can I do for you? That's uncomfortable. No, 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 God, let me just serve you. What can I do for you? What do you want me to do for you? So we lose control when Jesus wants to wash our feet. We'd rather be the ones washing others. So learning the art of receiving is, is spurred on through retreats. So another reason we often uh, find it difficult to accept the invitation toward retreat is that, you know, from our story, people need us. People need us. Um, we see that the story of Jesus and the disciples, um, uh, look at all this human need. We can't get away from it. Um, I guess I can't spend time away in retreat because I would feel guilty because of all this need. So retreat helps us to consider our boundaries. We have limitations. Jesus had boundaries, perhaps not found in this story, right? Because they, they're going to get away. They follow him. And then he teaches all night long, right? So Jesus had boundaries, though, because there's other times in Scripture where he turned away from real pressing need. He says, I got to go. 
Because he knew his mission, he knew his calling, he knew his boundaries, and he knew his human limitations. So Jesus, by calling his disciples, come away with me, maybe this is on the prevention side of our human tendency to, uh, you know, fall into being a human being, being a human being. Dallas Willard says that if you don't come apart, that is, if you don't come away to retreat for a while, you will come apart after a while. This is true. I've experienced burnout. I've experienced being dangerously tired. And nobody wants to be around me when I'm that way with my family. So another reason, perhaps, why we fear um, retreat is, you know, coming face-to-face with our willfulness. And this, Ruth Haley Barton talks about this in her book, too. And here's a little bit. Willfulness. What is willfulness? Willfulness describes our attempts to impose our own ideas on others, establishing our own agenda, and control everything around us. That can get tiring, isn't it? It might manifest itself in our determined efforts to force something into reality that just isn't happening on a spiritual level, at least, and a refusal to accept reality as it is. An invitation to retreat may result in the ability to acknowledge our willfulness as a source of our tiredness because we're trying to control people, places, and things. It can reveal a willfulness that exists in our lives. Retreat is an invitation, rather, not to willfulness, but willingness. Willingness to accept and to enter into what is actually happening. Richard Rohr has a breath spread that says, God, humble me in the presence of, of reality. God, humble me in the presence of reality. So in the safety of, of a retreat environment, because it, you know, in the safety of a, of a retreat environment, we can ask ourselves, where in my life am I willfully resisting reality in favor for what's an ideal in my mind? Or what would it look like or feel like to choose willingness instead of willfulness? Okay. The final reason that I'll share, and there's countless more reasons why we would kind of like, oh, retreat, that sounds nice. Maybe sometime other in my life or... No, I don't really see it as a value or whatever. But when it comes to our own, when it comes to our souls, who we are at our, at our deepest and truest selves, when we slow down, there might be a fear. We might be afraid of what we're going to find there. Right? If this fear is real, let me propose it might have something to do with how we honestly think, or what we've been taught about ourselves. Okay, so a couple of questions as we wrap up here today. So, do you believe, or have you been taught, that at the deepest part of you, that, that the deepest part of you is sinful and evil? Do you believe, or have you been taught, that the deepest part of you is sinful and evil? Do you believe or have you been taught that you then are an object of God's wrath? Do you believe or have you been taught that you have complete depravity and that there's no good that exists in you? This is a message I have received in the past. And I began to believe these things. 
well, if I'm going to be invited to retreat, to take an inward, why? I don't want to go there. Or, that's maybe a reason for hesitation. Or, do you believe that at the deepest part of you, the ground of your being, your soul, that there is a divine goodness, something so stunning and so beautiful that you are worthy of love and affection simply because you exist. We might be more open to slow down, to, to connect with the deepest recesses of our soul if we believed that what we would find down there is actually good. Because the truth is, it is. It is good. The church thrived for four centuries before the doctrine of original sin came along. Because it's hard. Like, wait, God deeply desires to spend time with me, a sinner? Which is true. We're sinners. I'm not getting away from that reality. We are sinners. Right? Or God deeply desires to be with me because I'm his creation. Makes a little more sense, right? So, my wife and I were introduced to this practice, this rhythm of retreat, um, about five years ago. We were invited to be a part of a community of people, about 20, 25 people, uh, and commit to a two-year quarterly retreat rhythm. So this is eight retreats over two years, roughly about 35 to 36 hours each. Go down to the Chiara Center, which is, or Chiara, I don't know how to say it. It's in Springfield area. Um, it's called, called Soul Space and led by my friend Tim Reese, um, who is a pastor at the church in Peoria. He was a retreat director for this. And uh, yeah, we had all sorts of, should we do this? Should we not do this? And I've invited Miley to share a little bit about that experience um, today. So the microphone right here. Um, you can stand up here if you like. Are you good down there? Okay. Like them down here. All right. So um, when we had this invitation to go, who commits to two years of eight retreats? Who does that, right? That's sort of an odd thing to do. Oh, I don't know. We might get busy. But like when we were, you know, invited into that, what, did you have any sort of resistance to that or, or any sort of thing? Yeah, for sure. My first thought was like, I don't have time for this. There's there's no way. You know, I have way too many responsibilities at home with my three kids. Um, it feels selfish for me to take care of me, you know. And then all the while I'm saying these things, Eric is securing babysitters up front. Because he knew that the time away from our kids was a big part of my hesitation. So maybe find someone in your life who's going, just do it anyway. You need this, just do it. So. I mean, I feel like there's always an excuse that you can make, right? Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, and then, so we're in this retreat rhythm, and we're reading. It's th- there's reading in between the quarters, and you know, just kind of d- different things. And so, 
through the retreats or the readings, was there any sort of shift or any sort of thing, growth in terms of understanding of God? And, um, you know, what were some of the things that were discovered or learned? Sure. Um, I found myself relaxing more in the presence of God. And you talked about sitting the place and you shift. I just felt myself taking a few more deep breaths and I grew up thinking that I needed to have everything figured out about the Bible and, and God, and that I better not mess things up with him. Like, he was angry with me all the time. I don't know why I thought that, but I did. Um, and I'd say it was hard at first, sitting in silence and being faced with his mystery. That was hard for me. I wanted to have those black and white answers for the questions I had. But still, over time, I found him to be trustworthy, a trustworthy God who loved me and cared deeply about the state of my soul, like we've been talking about all the time. Mm, good, good. And then so that was f- five years ago when you started, uh, done about three years ago or so. Um, and then what's life like now? Is it, yeah, some kind of, did that change things for you or, or not? Or yeah. yeah. Um, let's see. Well, actually, there's, can I talk more about the Enneagram first? Oh, sure, yeah. Sorry. Okay, so the Enneagram, to me, it's more than just this, personality test, you know, there's tons out there, um, but it was a pathway towards becoming more and more like the person that God created to me, me to be, um, and the more I dove into the Enneagram, the more empathy I could have towards myself and others, um, and we all view the world through a different lens, whether that be positive or negative, and it was hard sometimes, excruciating work, like Eric said, to peer into the places of my life that I'd rather hide and not let anyone see. Um, But I realized that when I allowed God to do this slow but much-needed redemptive work on my soul, the more healing and redemption that I could bring to this world. And I'm sure you're shocked to know that this passive life is still a work in progress. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Amen. So, yeah, so so part of the discovery or the learning, I think it was retreat number four is when we were sort of introduced to this tool, the Enneagram. But there's countless tools. Like, there's other sort of practices that are introduced within the context of retreat. So retreat, a larger practice, but then even smaller practices along the way. And one of these tools that was introduced was was the Enneagram. And so, yeah, so. So how is life after this retreat? Well. Uh, I would love to say that, yes, life is completely different now, perfect in every way, but that Amen. wouldn't be authentic. <laughs> if anything, I've realized my deep need for God and his grace on a daily basis, right? God ever so gently nudges me to take an inventory of my soul and remind me that I am not in control, as you've been saying this morning. After all, he is. And so carving out a rhythm or retreat in my life helps me to see this. Mm-hmm. Good. And so post, you know, we did those two years, and then, but you've been engaged with some other retreats, and so maybe share a little bit about that. And then, uh, Ron, if you want to come forward. So. so I've taken a couple of retreats at the Sears Farm. Um, one is a retri- uh, writing retreat, and the other one um, is a contemplative retreat. Um, so um, the retreats at these farms are beautiful mix of time spent alone with God and also in community with others. I've been on several of these retreats, yeah, and each time I've walked away knowing that I'm completely and deeply loved and held by God, and that he dearly loves the people around me. Um, The icing on the cake is that the other people on these retreats are also hearing from God in their own unique journeys, and we all get the opportunity to share portions of our encounters um, with each other throughout the weekend. God wants to encourage all of us on our journeys, but we won't always hear him if we're too busy or distracted. 
So these have been truly rich and meaningful experiences for me, and I highly recommend some of these retreats. Uh, there's a verse in the Bible that says, come and taste and see, see that the Lord is good. Plus, Jeannie's cooking really makes it easy, too. So. Amen. Amen. Thank you. All right. Awesome. And so I've also invited Ron to share a little bit about, so you can, uh, many are aware of the Seasons Retreat, and sort of maybe share a little bit about past, present, future, goals, desires, wishes, all that. So. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, and thanks for laying a good foundation, Eric, for, you know, for, for how Jesus uh, saw the value in retreat, and King David did as well. And, you know, why, we're no different. We need these times. The world kind of beats us up sometimes. Uh, the plates start falling to the ground and crashing. And um, and as as Gail mentioned, you know, um, we carry burdens, and so retreat is really very important part of our lives. Um, one word before I t tell a bit about how this, the seasons functions um, that that came to our mind on our our. Uh, time in England and Scotland and Ireland, we went to Glendonlock, which is uh, the, the uh, valley between two lakes. It's in Ireland, very beautiful spot. It's a place of pilgrimage. Pilgr pilgrims have been coming there since the 700s. But as you enter into Glendonlock,